Cubicle Night Noodlings, recorded on the 16th of October, 2020. This is my corner of the internet, where I talk about the fun things that tickle my nerdy nerve endings. This is my 20th cookie-sized podcast, but not one of those oatmeal raisin type of cookies. More like something with chocolate chips and maybe a little chocolate uh, cocoa powder and that comes out of the oven that's warm and gooey on the inside with a little bit of crisp on the outside. That kind of cookie. Which makes me think I could use some cookies. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. On this episode, I'm going to discuss Element, a Matrix chat client, the Amiga Fast File System in the Linux kernel, Visual Boy Advance, no Linux for 10 days, a bit of follow-up, OpenSUSE Corner, and a computer history retrospective on supercomputers. Have you ever gone for Chinese food takeout and emptied out the, the container and disassembled the thing? It is really a clever feat of engineering, of paper engineering. Most people just toss them in the bin once they're done with them. But if you stop and look at how they're folded together from wax-coated paper, you have to smile at the marvel of the ingenuity of this clever nesting box. So the box has a taper in it, and it's folded from one sheet of this... Yeah, it's almost like a poster board thickness with a you know a wax coating on the inside to keep the food from being absorbed by the paper. And it has built into it flaps to close and a little notch and hook to secure the box shut. These things come pre-assembled and glued together of, of some sorts, obviously some sort of a food-safe glue. And they're able to nest these things together, probably in very large stacks. And I just happen to find the, the way they're folded together rather fascinating. And Sometimes, you know, we take for granted all these different things we enjoy for our creature comforts and, and convenience. We don't take the time to look at, you know, the, the effort and the energy that went into making something. Like in this case, a Chinese food takeout container. So sometime, when you go out for a meal and you get a convenient box of some sorts, stop, take a look at it, and see, you know, how did they make this thing? And then, and then start to imagine all the engineering and the machines they had to design and build just to produce that one little bit of convenience at mass quantities. It really is quite fascinating. I guess the new hotness right now in chat services is Matrix. Not really new, but it's what people are talking about quite a bit now. And I've used it on and off for a while, but I really didn't, uh, didn't enjoy the experience. That is until somewhat recently. I started using Element. Uh, it's a great matrix chat client. Sure, it has some rough edges. There are a couple little things about it that you know are not as ideal. But overall, it's not a bad experience. The, the client makes using Matrix actually quite enjoyable. And previously, using Matrix was a lackluster experience. Almost more like a science experiment kind of a feel to it. And you know, sure, it worked. But it didn't quite have the polish and great user experience that I, I have using Telegram or even Discord for that matter. And I do like IRC, but for different reasons. I can say with much confidence that using Element feels like a real product. It feels just as good as any other messaging client, really. Now, it's still early days. There's still some new excitement about it. But it has a lot of features, a lot of capability, and a lot of potential. Not just Element, but the whole Matrix system. You know, for instance, I, I've been using... Uh, SMS through Matrix, which has been pretty awesome 
for everything except for group chats. And I do have a few of those, so I still have to go back to group chats on the phone. But for the most part, I enjoy using SMS through Element on Matrix. This is the it's the first step in in the simplification of a lot of these little these chat platforms. There's there's a couple others that I'm I'm really interested in in simplifying as well. I'm hoping it happens. Uh, I'm having a little bit of a struggle right now with uh, with the Facebook bridge on Matrix, but I'll get it in time. I haven't really invested any time recently in it because I you know after a few hours I decided that uh, it's time to do something else for a bit. If you would like to see for yourself what all the kids are talking about. Use Element. Easy to sign up. It's easy to get going with Matrix using Element, and it really works very well. I, I enjoy it very much. Great news if you like to cling on to old file systems. The Amiga Fast File System has returned to the Linux kernel, sort of. A component of the Linux kernel for the Amiga Fast File System had been broken that deals with the permission bits or protection bits in Amiga OS. The Linux kernel would only see bits, but never delete them. So this Max Stout is a developer that noted the issue and submitted a fix for good, such that this won't be an issue in the Linux kernel anymore, he said. Linux and classic Amiga OS can coexist in a more peaceful manner. Linus Torvalds appears to have agreed with the code as it made it into RC4 of version 5.9 of Linux kernel, which is slated to be released this month, October 2020. This is great news for those of us that are vintage tech enthusiasts. And I did happen to have a conversation with Max Stout, and he said that he has some other projects in the works related to this, as this was kind of a foundational step. So I'm excited to see what comes of it. It should be good. Well, at least I will find it great. I was in a situation recently where I was away from home for an extended period of time, and as a result, I was separated from my old tech, which meant authentic hardware to do more retro-style gaming that I enjoy was not a possibility. In walks Visual Boy Advance. While away, I had a hanking for some Game Boy fun, you know, to unwind at the end of the day, and the application I found, which I ultimately installed from the Snap Store, was Visual Boy Advance. The burger biggie of note here is that it was a great application for playing Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games, although I only played Game Boy games because that's what I was in the mood for. I played around with a lot of the different little functions and features and so forth, things like changing the palette or changing how the game is presented to you. You know, if you like the Super Game Boy look and feel, you can have that or you can go no border. You can keep it that, that green color that, uh, that, that you may have played on the original Game Boy, or you can do the Game Boy Color palette, and or you can actually you can change the palette to whatever you like. I ended up going with the Super Game Boy Color palette because I, I happened to like that the most, and played several hours of some Game Boy games late in the day just to unwind and kind of unplug for a bit because I either didn't feel like reading or studying or whatever. So it was fun. It's a great application. It's got a lot of features. Some of them you probably don't need. But if you really want to toy around and play with things, it, uh, it really makes it easy. If you're interested in trying it out, go to the Snap Store. There's a link in my show notes. But it's Visual Boy Advance, and it works phenomenally well. A power outage left me with a computer where my screen did not come on. And an all-in-one Dell Inspiron 20 3048. One morning, I get up, and I see that the computer's not on. So I go, I push the button, the light blinks and nothing on the screen whatsoever not a flicker nothing so i was a little bit worried i took the thing down off the vest amount i you know laid a towel down i dug into it and i wanted to 
test see if maybe the memory went out. I did some searching online, thought maybe it was the CMOS battery, might have caused some sort of corruption in the BIOS, I wanted to clear everything out. I got so far as taking off the back cover, taking off the little slot that hides the memory, took the memory out, and then I like, and I needed to power it up. In my laziness, I didn't want to go up into the little cubby where the power supply is being held, so I grabbed another power supply, which I knew was a high wattage power supply from Dell, plugged it in, turned on the computer to see what happens, and everything came alive. I got the little warning about the memory. At that point, I wondered if maybe it was just a faulty power supply. So I put the memory back in, turned it on, and Bob's your uncle, the whole thing was working just fine. So it took a lot of extra time in removing the computer from the vest amount and taking the back off of it. Lost about an hour and a half of my day, really, between searching and so forth, when the problem was the power supply. I don't know what went wrong with the power supply. I haven't done any tests on it. I should. I kept it. I haven't put it in the e-recycling. What I learned here is sometimes it's the easy thing that needs to get fixed. So before you toss out that computer, check the power supply. In my time away from my normal life, I was in a situation where I was without Linux for almost two weeks. I hear people that consider time away from tech as being refreshing, you know, a good time to reset or reboot or, you know, whatever. I wouldn't consider that the case at all, but it was enlightening. Using analog methods for recording information, you know, like writing it down in a notebook or whatever, is super inefficient. But it did force me to work on my handwriting, as it was pretty atrocious and really still is. Secondly, having to use Windows 10 to do digital work was so frustrating for me. I will give Windows credit for one thing. Not all the frustrations were the fault of Windows 10, but rather how the machines are implemented. But it did make me greatly despise using tech. It confirmed that if Linux went away and I was forced to use Windows 10, I, I just wouldn't use computers. I, I really would probably just walk away or find a way to use alternatives like beefing up an old Amiga or something to get the things done that I want to do. The experience reconfirmed why I'm a Linux user and why I enjoy specifically OpenSUSE Linux as much as I do. Although probably any Linux at that time would have made me just as happy. Now you may say specifically what was it that I did not enjoy about Windows 10? What was about the Windows 10 experience that felt constraining or constricted and so forth? The reasons that stick out most to me are how the network notification works, to application interaction, lack of ability to effectively quickly tile the screen, uh, the inability to control the arrangement of windows. So you would have to either sacrifice on viewing area of, of an application or do kind of crazy, move them and shift them around in certain ways to try and see what you want to look at and then do typing at the same time. It really wasn't enjoyable at all. It was actually easier and quicker for me to use a notebook and copy the notes down that I wanted to from a message or some documentation than it was for me to type them out with splitting the screen side by side or or like I do in Plasma, keeping one window above another window and taking my notes that way. Windows 10 is really quite miserable to use, and I'm not sure how people can tolerate it since most of the population on desktops are still using Windows, so apparently I'm one of these things that's not like the other. I have a refreshed sense of appreciation for the technology that I get to enjoy on a regular basis. For my Biddle follow-up, there's a discussion about the perfect distribution that dominated the majority of the conversation. Now, it's probably no surprise that I can easily say that OpenSUSE fits as a perfect distribution for me. There isn't much I would change about OpenSUSE. The only thing I can think 
is a little polish and tumbleweed as such to make it real simple using a graphic tool to easily do a distribution update. That directly uses zipper and not going through package kit, which sometimes falls on its face. It was a really fun discussion because you could hear what other people had in their idea of a dream distribution and so forth. So if you'd like to join this virtual Linux users group or LUG every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, you can search for Big Daddy Linux. We have about a two-hour discussion about things in Linux technology and so forth. And it's something I look forward to weekly. So you can join Biddle, hear what other nerds around the world think every Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern. For my open SUSE corner, going on right now is the OpenSUSE and LibreOffice virtual conference. There's only one day left, but you have to register before participating as they have to try and keep out spammers. There are two virtual rooms where there are talks going on and a workshop room to hack on LibreOffice. Thinking about this, there is an element missing from the event. There isn't a virtual hallway to get lost in and have random conversations about off-the-topic subjects. Hmm. Maybe next time? It's nice to see that virtual conferences are still happening. Just because the world has hit a rather large bump, not all the wheels have fallen off this wagon. OpenSUSE is asking you to join our team and help us improve the learning experience. So OpenSUSE is a project. There's many parts to this project. And having such a very lively and thriving community with all these different things going on, sometimes things can become a little untidy. The project has multiple distributions, although Leap and Tumbleweed get most of the mindshare. Things can become a bit overwhelming for someone new to start poking around the OpenSUSE spaces. This is why a group of volunteers have taken up the task of improving the learning experience for users regardless of their experience level. We want to make sure that new users can best identify solutions for their requirements and experienced users have the detailed documentation that is easy to access and update. Any help is welcome for writing, editing, peer reviewing, video production, and testing. So if you're interested, there is a link to the full article to join our team and help us improve the OpenSUSE learning experience. For my tumbleweed roundup, Snapshot 2020 1005 has a stable score of 91. Numerous RubyGem packages received updates. Snapshot 2020 1007 has a moderate score of 75. Ulsa glibcxorg received updates, and there's some issues with X11 keyboard setup. Snapshot 2020 1008 has a moderate score of 90. That's where Mozilla Firefox was advanced to version 81. Some updates to Inkscape, KDE Connect, and LibZip as well. 2020-1009 receive a stable score of 96. And 2020-1011 has a pending stable of 98, where GNOME Desktop is now at 3.36.7, and Vulkan Loader received updates as well. At any time, you can check the Tumbleweed Snapshot reviewer if you'd like to see how the latest snapshot is scoring. A link is in the show notes. For my computer history retrospective, an episode of Computer Chronicles 1984 titled Supercomputers was very enlightening. These massive parallel architectures were the key feature of these massive supercomputers. It's interesting to see that the supercomputer technology of this time is essentially the architecture that would later be adopted by the average home computer to include your mobile device. These computers are rated at over 100 million calculations per second, and I wanted to get some kind of baseline comparison to the modern Threadripper, but getting actual calculations per second isn't a thing with modern benchmarks. I would be interested in seeing how one of these old Cray supercomputers of the mid-1980s would compare to the average gaming desktop computer of today. It's worth a wonder, anyway. 
Parallel processing was a big thing with these supercomputers, but the rate of improvement had slowed down, and the discussion boiled down to the next breakthrough, coming and changing the way things are done, and different algorithms to take advantage of the greater speed increases. It was initially by government grants that breakthroughs in supercomputers came about, and once better understanding and more applications were developed for supercomputers, did the commercial applications jump on board to better simulate 3D worlds for testing, such as automotive and oil industry, ultimately making the process of being profitable much quicker. Barriers at the time in building better algorithms to map the computer architecture, while at the same time modifying the architecture to work with the algorithms. There was such a massive number of changes and experimentation in this time. U.S. and Japanese manufacturers were competing against each other at the supercomputer level, both governments investing in private sector to help with R&D costs. Really a spectacular time in the history of computing. If you'd like to watch this episode and see what the developments were in the 1980s, I have a link to that in the show notes. For my final thoughts, take some time to appreciate some of the marvels around you. Even something as ubiquitous as a to-go container has an incredible story behind it. Someone, or many someone, spent many hours engineering the shape and the design of the thing, as well as many hours or perhaps years it took to perfect the manufacturing process. We often take for granted the wonderful luxuries that we have. As always, thank you once again for listening to this noodling of nerdy nonsense. If you have any corrections, addendums, or comments, feel free to send me an email to that guy at cubiclenate.com. For more by nonsense, visit cubiclenate.com and use any method you like on that contact page to get a hold of me, and I will respond to you as quickly as I can. Until next time, see us.